The first and the most important thing for me is trying to get a sense for what kind of opportunity exists here. Is it worth going into, obviously? And that gives me the most energy and most excitement towards diving into a situation. You are listening to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur, a podcast for founders with ambitious ideas. Venture capital investors and other early believers tell you relatable, insightful, and authentic stories to help you realize your vision. Welcome to the Sure Shot Entrepreneur. Today's guest is Ramnik Gupta, the founder of Proven Capital. Proven Capital is a platform created in partnership with Prudential Financial to invest in transformational startups in fintech, insurtech, health tech, real estate technologies, and enterprise IT. Ramnik, welcome to the SureShot Entrepreneur. Great to be here and thank you for this opportunity, Gopi. Let's start with you. Tell me about yourself, especially Proven Capital. How did you decide to start this? What's your mission for the firm? The context for Proven Capital gets clearer if I share a little bit about what I did immediately prior to that, which was I was the co-founder and co-lead for the venture investing efforts at Citigroup for about a decade. During that period of time, we built a team, we built the portfolio to about 120-odd companies, and uh, most importantly, we were able to prove to ourselves and whoever else cared that strategic and financial returns do not need to be orthogonal. They can actually be highly symbiotic. That was proven out by some of the investments that I was able to drive and lead while my ten- during my tenure there. Companies like Square, DocuSign, Jet.com, Honey, Grab, Data Robot, Feedzai, and a number of others, which created tremendous financial returns. From a strategic perspective, a supermajority of our portfolio had done a POC pilot or commercial deals with City. All in all, we built out this platform at uh, City Ventures, which is well regarded and created tremendous outcomes on strategic and financial. The only thing I could not achieve there was continue to evolve that structure of that platform towards more independence, towards becoming a fund. That was the driver for the creation of proven capital, which is on one hand, it is able to leverage the depth domain distribution of a large incumbent who is our one and only LP, which is Prudential Financial, to create mutual value for them as well as our portfolio companies. But on the other hand, structurally, it is a completely independent entity set up separately. Prudential is our one and only LP, but does not have any ownership or economics in our management company or GP entity, which is owned by the team. And that allows us that separation, that ability to make decisions rapidly and independently and move quickly, just like a traditional venture firm. In many ways, we've been able to preserve the ability to leverage a large incumbent for all its strengths while improving upon through structural improvements here in order to create this independence that that tends to limit efforts that are connected to large corporates. That in a nutshell is proven capital. Oh, this is great. The birth of a new VC firm is always a special moment. And you are a very seasoned venture capital investor. And it's great to see that there is this new style of a VC firm formed in partnerships with a, a large incumbent. What is your focus at Proven? What are the topics that you get excited about? I'm particularly interested in what kind of companies you would like to invest in. Absolutely. One key thing for us is 
our ability to add value to our entrepreneurs. Therefore, we focus on verticals and, and areas where we can do so by leveraging the depth domain distribution of our incumbent LP. From that perspective, we have organized our thinking, our focus, and our investment interests into five big verticals in one horizontal. The five big verticals are insurance and insure tech for obvious reasons, given who Prudential is, financial services and fintech as an adjacency to insurance for distribution, co-product development, as well as deep domain that me and our team have in that area. Third big area of focus for us is asset management. Prudential has one of the largest asset management arms in the world called Prudential Global Investment Management, PGIM, that is about $1.65 trillion for third parties. And uh, therefore, anything that's happening in the asset management world is of interest to us. The fourth big area of focus for us is digital healthcare, both from a delivery of care perspective as well as access to digital data and exchange. And the last focus for us is uh, real estate and prop tech. And that's because our asset management arm is one of the top three global investors and owners of real estate, and therefore very focused on innovations that are happening around commercial real estate, multifamily, single family, logistics, warehouses, ag farms, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the five verticals. The horizontal is enterprise IT technologies around data analytics, machine learning, cloud DevOps, infrastructure, automation, digital customer experience, things that would go into the infrastructure of a large global enterprise like Prudential. Those are the focus areas that we have zeroed in on based on our ability to tap into the expertise of of our incumbents. You've already launched with a bang with many new investments. Can you give an example of one of your investments? How did you meet the entrepreneur? How was the first meeting? What questions did you ask them? What got you excited about this company? Certainly, we have announced five and Another four are in various stages of closing or being announced. Nine completed and working on number 10 as we speak. Starting off to a reasonable start, if you look at from a geographic lens, one of them is in Indonesia, one of them we're working on in Latam, and the rest are in the US, so it's also geographically diverse. The things that we've been most excited about with most of these companies, as I mentioned, is our ability to be able to change the trajectory of these companies. From that perspective, one of the companies that we invested in is a company called Avibra. Very interesting concept where the founders have this thesis that the origination of the thesis is the following. On one hand, close to $160 billion is spent on customer acquisition costs by the insurance industry on a yearly basis. And a lot of it obviously goes to the Googles, Facebooks, and, and the like. And on the other hand, you have a significant percentage of the U.S. population being one event away from bankruptcy. Be that maybe that event is a hospitalization, some illness, or their car breaking down, or whatever the case may be. When you sort of think about the two, as the founder of Avibra thought about, is why can't you take some of this customer acquisition dollars and target it towards this ecosystem of folks and provide them with a freemium? coverage that is at the base level free and prevents them from getting into these situations that tend to cause long-term harm. Based on that, create a better user experience, create a way for watching the engagement that these customers have with a free product and use that towards cross-selling and upselling other insurance products down the line. Very innovative dollar benefit store-like approach where you can 
buy whatever you need for almost a $1 a week type of construct. On one hand, you have all this marketing spend. On the other hand, you have now majority of the population being one minor event away from bankruptcy. And the Avibra is bridging those two by saying, let's use some of the customer acquisition dollars to provide some base level of free coverage that prevents these large populations from ending up in those situations. With the engagement that we get through the free product, let us try and figure out situations where we can provide additional coverage, cross-sell that, upsell that, and make it really simple to access through this dollar benefit store concept. That's an early stage investment that we've done, but it describes the things that we are trying to do. Through this focus, the company is trying to change the group benefits ecosystem. They are also, at the same time, creating a lot of good in the society, which is a worthy goal to go after. That's just one of the five or six that we've announced so far. Yeah, Yogesh Shetty is an incredible entrepreneur indeed. I met him two years, three years ago when he was in the very early stages of launching Avibra. The company provides much needed solution to simplify and disarm people while they're thinking about financial planning. So it's a great service to provide to the world. I'm curious, how long does it take for you to go from the first conversation to the point where you say, okay, let's make an investment? It depends a lot on the investor and the opportunity. It's hard to drop generalizations. But in this particular situation, I would say, or in in the case of me as an investor, I feel like I gravitate towards the first principles type of approaches. I try to form a view of where the opportunity is, how big can this company be if things go the way we want them to go, etc. The first and the most important thing for me is trying to get a sense for what kind of opportunity exists here. Is it worth going into, obviously? And that gives me the most energy and most excitement towards diving into a situation. If the opportunity is large, if the opportunity exists for this company to be a significant player as a platform, as an key enabler in that ecosystem, those things get me quite excited. Is there an opportunity to create a new market or significantly expand an existing market, etc.? And once you have comfort on that or conviction on that, you start to peel into the next layer, which is, can this group execute towards that opportunity? That's the immediate next set of things I try to think about and try to get some comfort around and do my due diligence around, which is oftentimes trying to understand the background of the founders, their ability to build solutions, their ability to react to where changing conditions once their solutions are exposed to those conditions and their ability to take feedback and continue to move quickly. Those sort of things you can A, try and figure out from a rear view mirror perspective by reference calls, etc., as well as do can figure that out by spending time with those entrepreneurs and watching them over a period of time. Now, sometimes that's, or, or most times these days, unfortunately, that may or may not be possible but uh, to the extent possible, I'd like to spend time, see how they are progressing on their goals, meet folks earlier than when they're looking to raise capital, understand what goals they've set for themselves and see how they deliver towards those goals. That's a very critical piece of diligence that helps you get comfortable with an opportunity. And once you have a sense for there is a great opportunity here, there is a team that is uniquely situated to execute towards that opportunity, then you try and figure out all of the 
rest of the things. Is the deal structure amenable? Is the valuation reasonable? Do I have enough ownership, et cetera, that I need to get here? But those things come much later in my mind. I want to say the first thing that drives me is the opportunity. And the next is, can this team execute towards that opportunity? The way you describe it, I can see that the first thing is the idea and the second thing is the team. And the third thing is the deal dynamics of how practical is it for you. The opportunity helps you understand what is the problem to be solved? What's the opportunity in the market? How big is this? Once you form that conviction, then you look at whether this team is the right team. Do they need to add a few more people, any specific type of skills to make it possible for them to execute? How fast can they grow? Those kind of questions. And then you start looking at, okay, now let's look at the term sheet, the valuation, all the other you know, tangible details. It's a great way you've laid out these details. And Ramnik, feel free to give other examples of startups as well. Roughly, how many companies do you meet in a year and how many companies do you end up investing in? I would say our goal is to invest in between 10 to 15 new companies a year. To get to that as a team, we would meet close to about 1,500 to 2,000 companies. And I'm not saying in each one of those companies that we've met, we've spent months and months uh, of uh, diligence effort, etc. I would say about, call it between 10 to 15% of those, you go pretty deep into and you end up with 10 to 15 investments. Call it about 1% or thereabouts where you end up at. And I've seen that to be holding across my career and across you know various platforms that I've been at feels like a reasonable set of metrics to share because I feel comfortable given the history that I've had in the industry. When I look at your team, it's a small team. How do you collaborate? And what can entrepreneurs do to prepare before they come to meet someone from Proven? And how do you make decisions together? I see that you're the founder, the managing partner, but you also have a few other partners and principals and senior associates and associates. How do you collaborate? In terms of the collaboration model, the key thing to think about or know about is we're a relatively small team and a young firm. Majority of the group has a voice in the ultimate decision. I would say everyone has a voice. And then from a voting perspective, obviously the partnership group. But the goal within our firm is for everyone to have a very strong opinion. For And we're small enough that we can actually go around the table virtually or physically in, in the future and try and understand where everyone is, what are the key areas people are excited about, what are the questions people have, etc. Fairly collaborative from that perspective. And the reason for that right now is simply because we are a very small team. I'm sure when the scale of the firms and the number of people around the table goes up, those things become harder. But for now, that's the model we're tapping into just to be able to get as many diverse perspectives and as many ways to look at a particular opportunity as possible. What happens if one person likes a startup and another person does not? Which is almost always the situation. <laughs> you go one of two ways. One thing that we try and do is try and understand why somebody's uncomfortable and the deal team's goal is to try and figure out how to answer those questions and see if they can get those folks comfortable. That's one approach. The second thing is not everyone needs to be on board to make an investment. Below a certain number, one can always make an investment as a deal lead or a deal team. And beyond a certain dollar amount, you need not the majority. Out of the three partners, you need only two partners to 
sign up. To the extent possible, our goal is to make sure we're able to respond to situations where somebody might have the conviction, but the rest of the group is not there yet, which is okay. They can still move forward because oftentimes, as they say, some of the greatest returns come from these contrarian situations. And then the second thing that we try and do is make sure the process is built up in such a way that the deal teams are going around trying to understand what the challenges or what the issues are that others are foreseeing and trying to address those upfront. Because that's valuable areas to look into, figure out due diligence around those areas, et cetera, et cetera. We think about it from both perspectives. Try and win people over, try and address the questions and issues they have. But at the end of the day, if you feel very strong conviction, and we also have mechanisms for enabling that too. This is very interesting. Venture capital is about finding these oddballs that other people do not see. You have to have that conviction in something that is unproven. It's hard to get a smart group of smart people to agree on on that topic and as a consensus. You must have to take some judgment call on it's okay for some people to disagree. Exactly. And in those scenarios, what I'm looking for for my team is, or at least the deal team is, that conviction, that passion for that opportunity. You might not agree with the situation per se, because you might not have experience in it, you might not have the depth, or you simply do not see it the way the other person is seeing it. But you certainly can get a pretty strong sense for the conviction of your team of, or your partners on the deal team for that situation. In those scenarios, I always fall back to that second a line of defense where if I don't see that strong conviction and passion on the deal team, of course, we won't let that go through. But I might not see it completely, but if I feel that passion and that conviction, we won't stand in the way of it. You've been in venture capital for many years. A lot of things have changed. Things are evolving. Some things for the good, some things for not so good. What do you think needs to happen for venture capital as an industry to get better? This will take us the rest of the podcast uh, (laughs) if we dive right into it. But let me try at a high level. One thing that is from a very selfish perspective, and that also happens to be symbiotically aligned with the broader change that needs to happen in the industry is diversity. I say that in the broadest sense of the word, which is in in age, in, in gender, in cultural backgrounds, in experiences, in countries of origin, et cetera, et cetera. The, the broader the diversity is within a group or a team, the better decision-making is when it comes to venture decisions. It may or may not hold for all types of activities and all types of situations. Some places, command and control works better. But certainly in the venture ecosystem, diversity is very powerful because you, by definition, do not know everything or cannot profess to see every angle into a particular situation that you're trying to evaluate. And if there are more eyes that are attached to a brain that has a very different set of experiences because of who they are, your ability to evaluate these things and your ability to make the right calls and not miss out on things goes up dramatically. In venture, it's a signal-to-noise ratio thing. Reduce the noise by triangulation. That is the opportunity that diversity gives you. And for a very selfish reason, in addition to it being good in general for the industry, I'm focused on it. In our team, for example, we have one of the three partners who is a woman. We have very different backgrounds. Our firm does not look like the, the old school sort of venture firm that one might have seen 
uh, or one might expect typically in the past. That is one vector of, of change that's a very necessary one and a very important one that is well underway. The other is that the lines that used to hold between different types of investors who focused and specialized in different classes do not hold today for very many reasons. There were people who specialized in seed and they had some who did series A and B and then there were the growth stage investors and then there were the hybrid crossovers and each one had a reasonable, there were some mixing at the edges, but by and large, those uh, those lines were very clearly defined. I don't think any of that is true anymore today. I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing in the long term, but definitely something that firms need to evolve to or address actively. And you see different approaches people are taking. Some One set of approaches is for people to dig down even further and be really, really deep in the areas that they are in and try to hold to those lines. The other approach is people are saying, these lines don't matter. And so we will be cross-stage, cross-sector, et cetera, et cetera, and very wide. First one, very clear answer on where you want to go or where you need to be heading. The second change, I'm not sure what is the right approach or if there is even one right approach, but certainly a big change coming where the old lines don't hold anymore. Yeah, diversity is certainly an issue in the industry. We need more diversity for sure. And I hope more opportunities like Proven come about in the industry where we have different types of partners with different skill sets and backgrounds can be in decision-making roles. And the other part you mentioned on what is venture is actually becoming fuzzy. What is early stage venture and who makes later stage investments? The way the industry is evolving, there is no clear demarcation on who is who. So we'll see how the market evolves in the next few years. I want to switch to the next part of this conversation and ask you about a nonprofit organization, your community involvement. Is there an organization you are passionate about and which one? I have some passion around figuring out a way, and I have not figured out the right way to do this yet, but figuring out a way to leverage the immense amount of experience, talent, capability that exists in the elderly population, the retired population, and finding a way to harness that towards education and helping the kids who are struggling, getting them coaching, getting them folks who can help them through their work and through their learning processes. I I feel like there is a very strong opportunity there. I haven't found the right model to do so, but that is something that I would be very passionate about. And I've continuously been looking for that with Zoom and with the fact that most of these geographical boundaries and location constraints that we used to have in making those matches work, that there is enough supply and demand in the same region. Those things do not need to be true anymore post the pandemic or through the pandemic. That's a very positive push towards enabling this future to happen. And I see that in my own family. My parents are retired, highly, highly educated, intellectually curious, and highly capable folks who pretty much not leveraging or doing much with their capabilities anymore now that they are retired. How amazing would that be if their experience and knowledge and depth could be utilized towards helping folks who need that and who are coming through a deep deficit on that front by enabling technology to be that platform over which that connection can be made. I see the opportunity for an entrepreneurial endeavor coming out of your thoughts here. As we've seen in many situations, 
these personal experiences and observations become very good foundations for new companies to be started. I think there is something here. Excellent. And if you or anyone in the audience find something interesting there, please think of me. I'd love to contribute and be a part of it in any way I can. Well, this is great. I'm really excited for Proven. I know you are on the early days of this business. Venture firms take decades to see the success story. I'm very excited to see how you have launched successfully with the first fund. Good luck in your future for building a a lasting firm. And I'm very excited to share your nuggets of wisdom with the world. Excellent. Thank you for listening to the SureShot Entrepreneur. I hope you enjoyed listening to real-life stories about early believers supporting ambitious entrepreneurs. Please subscribe to the podcast and post a review. Your comments will help other entrepreneurs find this podcast. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.